It was a tragedy almost too big to comprehend. An entire family killed in cold blood. A murderous rampage targeting four generations across two countries. And that was just the beginning. Marisol Pagan was the missing piece of the puzzle. She was either the only witness to a very gruesome crime or connected to it in some way we hadn't determined. Several of the murder victims did in fact have a criminal history. A few of them had done serious jail time for violent offenses. It was the worst thing I've ever seen with my own two eyes. I still have nightmares about it. Here is your host, Marianne Simpson, with an exclusive look at the South Side Slaughterhouse murders. This is Law and Horror. This podcast is known for taking real-life events, real-life villains, and exploring the legends and lore behind them. But legends and lore can only take you so far. Such is the case with the so-called Southside Slaughterhouse Murders of Chicago, where an entire family was butchered, grandparents to grandchildren, and every blood relative in between. As presented on this show, the story was cast in a rather fantastical light. But was that the real story? or just a horrific flight of fancy to explain something inexplicable. For a tragedy of such scale and importance, I decided to dig into the facts of this case, to track the investigation, and speak with the police, journalists, witnesses, and lawyers involved in trying to resolve it. Let's begin at the beginning with a panicked phone call to 911. They're all dead. The whole family is dead. Enter the detective, Emil Slade, a homegrown cop with 18 years on the force. A man born for the job. A man who had seen everything. But never anything like this. Before I even got to the crime scene, I tripped over another crime scene. An ambulance parked out in front. One dead EMT in the back. Mateo Pagan. Still had his ID. Still had his wallet. He took one in the air through the driver's window while he was smoking a cigarette. Bastard never saw it coming. But of course, Mateo, he was just the appetizer. Inside was an eight-course fucking dinner. I guess I should say 13-course. All candor, it was the worst thing I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Still have nightmares about it. I remember all of their names. I say a rosary every night for each of them, and an all-father for the four kids, all from the same family. The Pagan family owned a brownstone, been there for a dog's age, 
Never had any problems. At first, we were thinking it was racial. Then we talked to Mr. Jimenez. He had a face-to-face with the suspected killer. Let him in the building. Told us how polite the man was. That told me it wasn't racial. If this Canadian fuckhead was gunning for any Latino, Mr. Jimenez wouldn't have given us such a good description. Because he would have been dead. So right away we're thinking, this was a family annihilator on a whole nother level. Then I got the call. Two more bodies. Two more pagans. Dead in their car at the airport. Been there for hours. Same gun used. This thing was starting to sprawl. There was an eyewitness. A man who had been up close and personal with the killer just moments before the massacre. Even as Mateo lay dead in the ambulance. Oh yes. Francisco Jimenez, next door neighbor to the Pagan family. Aspiring chef, and by all accounts, a stand-up guy. So why had Francisco let this madman into the building? I didn't see the guy drive up in the ambulance. And when I got back from my shift, he was just waiting out front. He seemed nice enough. The ambulance was on the curb, which wasn't too unusual. And, you know, Mateo, he, he goes by the house all the time to grab something to eat. So, I, you know, I just asked the guy, hey, what are you, who are you waiting on? He told me he was waiting for Mateo in this really thick Canadian accent. It, it sounded kind of like, hey there, you mind letting me up? I don't know what's taking on Mateo so long up there, eh? That hoser. You don't mind, do you? I kind of wish I had it back. I wish I could, you know, do it differently. But at the time, the dude didn't raise any red flags. He seemed Canadian. They all seem harmless, right? I took a shower, grabbed a beer, stepped out onto the porch. You know, I I see the same dude walking away. He's wearing those funny plastic socks over his shoes. You know, the ones like, you know, people come in your house trying to keep it clean and all that. That's when I went next door to check in. And that's when I found them. Toda la familia. They're all dead. The whole family is dead. Mr. Jimenez smelled like dope. But the kid was sharp. I'll give him that. He sat with the sketch artist. Gave us the best suspect sketch I've ever seen. For all the good it did. This guy looked like every other maple syrup chugger out of the fucking great white north of Canada. We put it out. We blasted that sketch everywhere. It generated a few thousand leads, but none of them were any good. Lucky for us, we didn't have to wait long for the next crime scene. The public library. Which had a pagan connection, we found out. That's what put Marisol on our radar. So yeah, lucky for us. Unlucky for Dusty, one of the librarians. The first victim of the rampage that wasn't named Pagan. Then we found out what happened in San Juan. But that's a whole other can of fucking worms. There were so many dead bodies to account for. It took the police several hours to realize there was one missing. Marisol Pagan, 
nursing student, worked part-time at the library, called Abuelita by her family, little grandma, because of how she took care of everyone, even as a young girl. How had Marisol escaped the family annihilation? Was it luck? Good fortune smiling on her? Or was there something else? Rumors began to swirl as the police started to search for her. A search that led to the public library, where the body of her friend and co-worker Dusty was found in the alleyway, shot to death by the same gun used to kill her family. This is when Assistant District Attorney Jorge Spencer became involved. Suspect. No, Ms. Pagan was not a suspect. She was a person of interest. A vital person of interest. I mean, we knew that she was there at the time of murders. We knew that she went to the library to hide out. And we knew that the killer followed her there. What we didn't know was why. Why was she allowed to escape? Why did she choose to hide instead of coming to authorities for protection? And what was her connection to the killer? Marisol Pagan was the missing piece of the puzzle. She was either the only witness to a very gruesome crime or connected to it in some way we hadn't determined. Marisol Pagan, model citizen, good grades, took care of her family, never had so much as a parking ticket. But the longer we didn't hear from her, the more like a suspect she looked to us. I mean, you tell me. Some crazy foreigner wipes out your whole family? Do you stick your head in the sand? So her disappearing like that, it never sat right with me. Why did the Pagan family have a reputation? And what, if anything, did it have to do with the massacre? There was a whole other level to this case. One the police and the district attorney's office just weren't ready for. The entire city was looking for Marisol. The police were desperately trying to find a lead on this mysterious Canadian. With no ready answers to print, one local reporter decided to do a little research. Using some confidential contacts in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Laura Bogdanovich opened up a new dark aspect to this case, the Pagan family itself. In the process, she discovered there were more bodies. A lot more. It seems the Southside Slaughterhouse was not the start of this rampage. It had begun a week before on the outskirts of San Juan. Somehow I was the only one that brought this to the attention of the police. They were so laser-focused on catching the killer, they didn't look for more murders. So I got to find them. Eight at first. Allegedly, there was a gas leak during a family meal. Everyone died around the dinner table. The only survivor was Abuela Carla. She was already in the hospital with a heart issue. I was told she died of shock that very night. I'm not quite sure I believe that. Especially after they found another branch of the Pagan family on the other side of the island. Dead on their boat, set adrift off the coast. Yeah, once we heard about the deaths in Puerto Rico, the focus of the investigation uh, changed. 
it had to. It was no longer a city issue. It was international. Hell, I was the one to call in the FBI. <laughs> Not that it mattered. The DRO took over the case before I could even hang up the phone. Ms. Bogdanovich, in her own small way, did aid our investigation, and for that, the city thanks her. As for her wild speculations about genetics and the Pagan family, I have no comment. The more I dug into the family's history, the more problematic it was. Several of the murder victims did in fact have a criminal history. A few of them had done serious jail time for violent offenses. Not all of them, of course. No one is victim blaming. But in the course of my research, I found, let's say there was an inordinately high percentage of the extended Pagan family that had been accused of crimes going back several generations. In 1962, Maria Pagan was sent to death row in New York City for triple homicide. The NYPD claims that she confessed to a litany of other crimes, although there were no additional prosecutions. And then there was Giselle Pagan. Before her death in 1890, they called her the Mad Butcher of San Juan. With all that in mind, you can see why hiring a genetics testing lab seemed like a smart idea. I wanted to find more information about this family tree, which I thought might be the real story here. I was accused of tabloid journalism, but I stand by that choice. I just had to learn more. So many new questions. The wild thicket that was the Pagan family tree yielded no answers. Just more bodies and more mysteries. Meanwhile, there was no trace of either Marisol or the enigmatic Canadian assassin, who had both seemingly vanished. And if you think this is the sort of case that gets wrapped up with a pretty bow on top, think again, because it only gets stranger from here. We know that Marisol was at the library. We know she went inside the library. We know this because she got some of Dusty's blood on her after he got shot. She tracked it inside, down the stairs, and then nothing. Trail goes cold. She must have had a change of clothes. Hell, maybe a chemical bath of some kind. Because we called in the hillbillies with the scent dogs. The trail went cold for them, too. It's almost like, not that it is, because what I'm suggesting is impossible, but it's almost like she went into that library and didn't come out. The only real lead we ever got into finding Marisol came from Canada, of all places. Uh, this was very shortly after the incident. Uh, two members of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police reported seeing Marisol outside of the library and archives in Ottawa. They didn't just see her, they talked to her because they said she looked upset. You need to understand, these weren't random publicity seekers calling a tip line. These were two Dudley Do-Rights, and they were 100% certain this woman was Marisol Pagan. What she was doing in Ottawa, or how she got there when we were closely watching all outgoing transportation, remains inconclusive. There have been several more Marisol sightings since then. I only follow them out of personal curiosity. <laughs> this case is no longer ours. The lab was developing a genetic profile and a family tree. I started to research the name Pagan in murder investigations from every bureau desk that would take my calls. I collected a lot of possible leads. I didn't know what they were leads for, 
but I knew it was taking me somewhere. One night I came home late and I see there's a post-it note on my front door. Generic, could have come from any office supply store, one of those pre-printed ones businesses use. No handwriting, no fingerprints, just the words, sorry we missed you. The next morning, I found out about the genetics lab. There was a, a fire. Three people died. Do I regret giving up the story? No, without a doubt. I keep that post-it note on my fridge to remind me. If I kept digging, I wouldn't be here today. I definitely heard a lot of stories about the Pagan family before I moved over here. I mean, we had a TV, but there wasn't anything to watch, you know. We told stories, we spilled the tea. Isn't that what they say these days? Yeah, we spilled the tea. And we talked shit about all the other families. But when we said something about the Pagans, carajo coño, you better lower your voice. My great aunt went to school with Maria Pagan. She said that later on, Maria went to New York. She got all mixed up with drugs, hooking, and then killed a bunch of people. I didn't believe it at first, but I looked it up, and it's legit. Maria went to death row for killing three pimps and a cop. But that ain't even the biggest one. The mother of all Pagan stories was Giselle, the mad butcher of San Juan. That was like 100 years ago, and still to this day, she's the most famous serial killer we got. Killed Everybody, men, women, children, she was a savage. And before they hung her, they asked Giselle why she did it. She said, the devil man had got inside of me. The one called, you know, Jack the Ripper, which of course is bullshit. Jack the Ripper was in London, but that's what I heard. The South Side Slaughterhouse murders remain unsolved. Still, officially, an open case. According to a spokesperson from the DRO, an active investigation. The Canadian has yet to be identified or apprehended. And Marisol Pagan? She's been seen several times, allegedly. And yet, she remains elusive. Much like the rest of this case. So many questions unresolved. So many victims innocent or otherwise, who never received justice. So many loose threads that never got wrapped up. This isn't like TV. This is real life, where the truth often remains obscured. Maddening, isn't it? Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. If you'd like to hear the flip side to the South Side Slaughterhouse murders, listen to the episode called The Archive. Find out the secrets of Marisol Pagan and the mysterious Canadian. If you'd like to enjoy more of Marianne Simpson's reporting, you can check out Ghosts of the Devil's Triangle, Faceless, Chasing Ghosts, The Nightmare People, The Ravenous One, Deep Red Ops, and Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. You can find A Scary Home Companion on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
or you can contact us directly at a scary home companion at gmail.com. Or just cut to the chase. Contact the creators directly by signing up for the Patreon, where we offer exclusive episodes that will never be released to the public. 20 of them so far, with a new one added every month. Plus extras, analysis videos, free games, and more. If you sign up before the end of February, you're in a drawing to win a hand-forged Damascus steel knife. A cursed one, no less. The episode was edited and produced by Jeff Davidson. Featured appearances by Buck Rogers, Laura Myers, Jorge Quintana, Francisco Antonio Martinez, and the lovely and talented Jamie Lee Hensley. The music was provided by John Bartman and his tune, Bad News. Scary Home Companion is sponsored by Totally Tidy LLC. A female-owned business, Totally Tidy specializes in cleaning homes above the industry standard. They are raising the bar. Get clean with Totally Tidy. Currently looking for employees in southern Indiana. If you are in the area of Evansville and Newburgh, contact Totally Tidy today. T-O-T-Tidy at Hotmail.com and on Facebook as Totally Tidy LLC.